Hey, hey, Katie. Hey. Hey. How are you? You can hear me, yeah? <laughs> I can hear you loud and clear, Katie. Loud Wonderful. Great. How's it going? Oh, good. Good. Week is flying by. It is. As we always seem to do. It, it sure is. I think it had a little bit to do with uh, Monday being a holiday in the Fair U.S. Fair enough. That's true. That is a, it's a U.S. holiday, a very important one. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. I'm just sorry. I'm just trying to set up the room real quick. Yep, of course. Hi, Russell. How was your day? Katie, Tomas, it was fabulous. How about yours? It's great. We were saying the week was going by very quickly, um, but it is, you know, a shorter week. So that's one of the reasons why. I know. We need to have some more holidays or maybe design our schedule to just do four days a week. I feel like I'm a better person this way. Yeah, there's so many companies that are doing it. Actually, one of our guests, um, AJ Yawn, I followed him after he was a guest on our program. And um, he does a four-day week, I believe, at his company. Yeah, we did that. at uh, When I was at the Fed, we let people kind of flex that way if they wanted to. Oh, you did? A few people oh, did. Oh, nice. It was back in, gosh, forever ago. But uh, let them choose you know, to kind of get in their time however they wanted to do it. And uh, looking back, I wish I'd have done that a long time ago. Yeah, I think to your point, too, I mean, any work schedule is, um, you know, some people prefer a five-day week. Um, but, you know, even my son at college was able to uh, arrange his schedule that he didn't have any classes on Friday, and it helped him be able to have a more flexible work schedule and have the occasional long weekend. I mean, so it is nice that uh, both work and educational environments seem to be a lot more flexible. As I say, I do a four day, four, sorry, yeah, four day week uh, in the off. What do you do? But uh, that is, that is not the same thing. Hey, Dave. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, we'll have to ask Dave what his opinions are on four day work weeks. Hi, Dave. Welcome. Oh, wow. Just hitting me right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. Good afternoon. Hey, Tomas. Hey, Katie. Hey, Russell. Good to hear all those voices this evening. You too. How are you? Doing all right. I'm I'm for four day work weeks. Yeah, look, I I am um, for you know if you look at like the uh, was it FDMY sort of sort of fire department, they do I think three day weeks, but they it's not a three it's not a three yeah I think it's three day weeks, uh, but they're doing like twelve to something hour shifts. Uh, in a day, so a little bit longer day, I guess, for them, but still three days. Yeah, a friend of mine is a is a firefighter, uh, re just retired as a fire chief um, for one of the cities in Michigan, and he, I always, I always um, envied him on his days off, and I always thought that he worked really hard on his on his days on, on his days when he was working. So that is that's one of those things that uh, that you know you you think. That's one of those things that you, 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 you really, you really, it's hard to get your head around. Um, it's hard, it's hard to get your head around and being, and being them for the, for the days off and, and, and they work really hard. So I don't know. I don't know. They, he was, he, let's see, he would be on 24 hours and then off 24 hours, then on, on 
24 hours off two days and then on 24 hours and then off four days. But it's, it's, uh, you know, again, the days that he was on, there'd be days when he, he was on calls, you know, 20 hours of a 24 hour day. So I, I don't know. I, you, you gotta, you gotta trade for those things. But I think people that work three, you know, three twelves or, 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 you know, I, I, four, four day weekends sound even better than four day work weeks to me. Yeah, probably, probably. That's probably a good conversation too. Um, whoever's doing that, cause I'd be interested to hear their, their thoughts, but look, why don't we, uh, why don't we get into the, uh, into the thick of things? I know I opened the room slightly late, so I apologize about that, but, uh, you know, it is, it's an interesting day this, this evening. So it is Wednesday and it is our usual fireside chat. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, we are, we have the privilege to chat with, uh, David Glenn or Dave, I guess you, you prefer Dave or David. Either one is fine, but uh, most people call me Dave. All right. Sounds good. So Dave Glenn is joining us this evening. Uh, so we'll get into learning a little bit more about Dave. Um, so I just want to do some quick ground rules um, just before we start. Uh, as I mentioned, this is our weekly fireside chat. If you're new to our fireside chat, there's a little greenhouse on the top left of your screen where it says fireside chat. You can click that and join our club. Uh, you, you'll be able to see our schedule and see who's coming up and be able to listen to the replays. Uh, there's no payment or anything like that. It's just a matter of joining the club and seeing what's going on. So join our community. We're happy to have you. Uh, we are going to have a good evening, a good time this evening, I should say. Uh, it is the middle of the week. Uh, I, I was a bit thrown off, Katie, because Monday was a holiday, so Wednesday did creep up on me. But it is the middle of the week. So this is usually the time that we kind of kick back like to have a great conversation, uh, take some of the stress off of the, the, the work week and use this as an opportunity to really just network and listen to, uh, to other thought leaders in the space, uh, share their journey and their, and their stories. Uh, so we ask that if you do pop up on stage to ask a question, please keep that in mind. Uh, this is not the opportunity to do a sales pitch on your product, your solution or anything of that sort. This is more of an opportunity to really uh, learn about another person's journey and their experiences so that you could continue to grow as a person within whatever uh, aspect of your life that you happen to be in, uh, whether you're starting out, more senior, or somewhere in between. Um, the last, actually, one other comment I'll make is for the majority of us, our comments and opinions expressed today are our own and do not represent our current or prior employer. So we ask that you please keep that in mind. Yes, we know that this is being recorded and we will definitely not say anything that, that compromises that. But we ask that you please keep that in mind that we are not here to represent our, our current or prior employers. These are really just our opinions, our thoughts, and our comments. Um, I think I got all the, uh, all the, all the guardrail ground rules, if you will. Uh, Russell, what do you think? Did I get them all? Did I miss one? A plus, even on a short week. Oh, look at that. Octavia, quick microphone check for you. Check one, two, one, two. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, so we'll go around the room. Uh, Dave, we'll leave you for last. So I'll start off. I'm Tomas Maldonado. I'm the CISO at the NFL. Katie, over to you. Hi, I'm Katie Hanahan. I'm the Vice President of Cybersecurity Strategy at IT Savvy. Also run their VCSO program. And full disclosure, Dave Glenn is one of my favorite people in the entire world and one of my favorite collaborators on, on Clubhouse as well. Over to you, Russell. 
Super interesting. Super excited to have Dave here with us this evening. Hey, Russell Eubanks, former CISO for the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Last couple of years, been running my company, Security Ever After, where I help people get their first CISO job. Anil, over to you. Thanks, Russell. Anil Varghese, a virtual CISO and co-author of The CISO Mentor. On to you, Lisa. Hey, 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 it's Wednesday. Um, my name is Beth Lentini Walker. I'm the founder of Lumen Worldwide Endeavors, which is a compliance, ethics, and corporate governance consulting firm. I'm an author. I teach law school in the U.S. and Europe, and I'm excited to be here tonight with Dave. On to you, Octavia. Thanks, Lisa. I'm Octavia Howell. I'm the CEO of Equifax Canada. Um, I am located in Toronto, and I'm super excited for this conversation and nice to meet you, Dave. Back over to you, Tomas, to kick it off today. Sounds good. Thank you, moderators. And uh, it's always a pleasure to join you guys on a weekly basis. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Dave, you know, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself? And what I'll, what I'll ask you while you're doing your introduction, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your origin story? How did you you know, what motivated you? Where did you sort of grow up? What are some of the things that inspire you and, and drove you to where you are today? Uh, so just let us know a little bit more about you as a person, Dave. Sure thing. Well, first of all, Tomas, thanks a, thanks a ton for inviting me to join you to join you this evening. I feel very privileged to uh, to be on the stage with, with these folks and some of the people in the audience too that, uh, that are some of my favorite people. And again, as Katie mentioned, one of my favorite collaborators as well and uh, known Katie for quite some time. Uh, Russell as well, I spend a lot of time with in, 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 in multiple rooms on this platform. And the first thing that I'll say is that this platform I think is a really interesting, um, it's an interesting social experiment. I'm really enjoying it partially because of the strength of the community that I see building here. Um, there are people in this room right now that I've, you know, that I've been uh, exploring business opportunities with and looking at cool new technologies with and just the, the speed at which my network has grown as a result of the conversations that I've had here, just in ways that, you know, aren't particularly even things that are things that are developing business even, but just just strength of strength of connection, strength of strength of bonds and strength strength of strength of networks. I'm I'm really, really fortunate and blessed to be a part of this platform. So thank you again for, for having me and, and uh, thank you for giving me this giving me this opportunity to share and hopefully learn a little bit about you folks as well. Um, I've listened to a few of these and I, I learn something every time I listen to a replay or, or, or join in one of these rooms. So again, thanks for the opportunity. So I was, I grew up um, in the Western part of the US. I was born in Denver. Um, I lived in Washington state until I was um, in middle school, um, spent a few years in my, my middle school and high school years in New Mexico. And then I've lived in Michigan for the last, uh, let's see, 32 years now. Um, I fell into cybersecurity, uh, fell into technology really um, back in 1987. We, the, the, the small private school that I went to, uh, someone donated a, a lab full of computers to the school and the teacher that they, that they had um, teaching uh, intro to PCs, I was, I was his reader and he didn't have a lot of PC experience. And so um, I, helped him write his, his syllabus and then helped him teach the class. Uh, the next year I was the school librarian and I, I digitized our card catalog system and 
And, but it was always a hobby for me. My dad, my dad had gotten an Apple II plus or an Apple II, I guess at the time um, in my dad's a minister and he got a, an Apple II um, in his church office, uh, I guess in probably what would have been 84, maybe. Um, let's see, counting backwards. Yeah, probably 84, 83, 84. And, um, and I, you know, I learned some, I learned some basic programming and, and, uh, got to play some, some knockoff. I remember the first, the first video game I played was, was uh, Taxman, which was a knockoff on Pac-Man on his Apple II, um, Apple II computer. And then, um, and then also Castle Wolfenstein way, way back when, um, and, you know, that was, that was kind of my introduction to, to, to PCs. I never really thought that I would be involved in, in, uh, in technology, um, it just wasn't a, yeah, I, I always said I'd never sell anything and I'd never work in the technology industry. And the last 20 years of my, um, technology career has been, has been spent in, in business development and cybersecurity. So it's really interesting how, how we, you know, we, 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 we're intentional about what we do as a, uh, for a living and, 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 Many people that I've heard tell their stories on this and other platforms fell into cybersecurity accidentally or providentially. Um, so I start when I when I um, when we moved to Michigan, I went to school in southwestern Michigan at Andrews University, and I decided I was going to be, be an English teacher. And I majored in English and minored in communications. And I loved I loved English. I loved writing. I loved I loved uh, you know creative writing, stories, poetry. I liked writing essays. Um, I didn't like math much, um, but I worked in the micro lab my freshman year in college and ended up teaching grad students how to use WordPerfect and, and uh, you know, really kind of got my hands dirty on, on you know, early, simple peer-to-peer networks and, and such. And um, in the, the summer between my sophomore and junior years in college, I was working for a laser printer service company. Um, and the at the time, the only way you could advertise really was in the yellow pages. And so we had a, we had an ad in the yellow pages for the laser printer service company under computer repair, because of course there wasn't a, a section for laser printer repair. And uh, we, we, we remanufactured toner cartridges and fixed laser printers, but people would call and they'd say, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, my, my I have a problem with my PC um, and, you know, I need someone to fix it. And we would, you know, we would, we would say, Hey, you know, we don't do that and you know refer them to someone else and it got to the point where um i I told them the owner of the company i said hey man you really need to expand into into, uh, networking and and pc repair and and uh at the time i was starting to get active on bulletin board systems and 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 some of the other pieces of that and he would say he would say you know what there's no future in pcs um we're going back to a centralized computing model there's no no reason anybody's ever going to have this kind of power you know, it's, it's just, it te- you know, technology is not going to go that direction. You know, we're going to go back to green screens and dumb terminals soon anyway. And, you know, there's, there's no future. In it. And so he finally relented and he said, listen, if you want to start coming into work at six o'clock in the morning, leaving at two o'clock in the afternoon, you can take calls, you know, you can take any call that comes in and, and you can, you know, take the business, build yourself a little consulting business if you want to. And by the end of the second week that I did that, I was making more money in, you know, a day or two of, of, of doing, um, consulting for people after hours than I, than I would make in a week, um, you know, working full time 
that summer job for this technology company. And so after a while, it got to the point where I built up a nice little, a nice little um, sort of collection of small businesses and, and personal um, uh, clients. This is 1992, 93. And it got to the point where I built up a nice little stable of clients and I was charging 50 to $75 an hour back then um, to do that work. And that, you know, that kind of grew um, in, in, and I, and I did that off and on through the rest of my school, my school experience in, in, uh, in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Uh, when I finished in Andrews, I moved back into the Detroit area and I, I continued doing my consulting work. And one of the things I, I, I built a, I built a, um, I built a, I, I worked for a headhunter and built, ended up building a, um, uh, a home network for him. Uh, he had, it was a headhunter that had 25 people working for him, had a falling out with his partner, um, sort of built some automation for him. He died the day I turned the project over to him. Literally the next day he died. And it just, it, it really shook me. And so I, I realized that there were, there were gaps in, in my field of knowledge. So I went to work for Antex Information Systems as a, as a, as a field engineer, um, started out uh, doing warranty repair for printers, laptops, servers, um, moved into a, into a, a networking, networking role where I was working with NetWare and, and NT351 and then NT, NT4. Um, sometime during that period of time, um, the company that I was working for started going through some changes and I got my MCSE. Um, started teaching Microsoft. I became a Microsoft certified trainer. Um, started teaching MCSE and MCDBA classes uh, at night at a community college. And then, and then when when the, the our company sold to Siemens and Compuware, uh, or CompuCom rather, uh, product business went to CompuCom, services business went to Siemens, and I ended up going with the, with the training um, organization of that company. Um, so all the way through this. You know, again, I was never super intentional about being in technology, but it kept being the best, you know, the best possible opportunity at hand. And when I figured out how much English teachers made, although I loved, I loved the English language, I loved the idea of teaching at a, at a you know, secondary level, um, I just realized that technology was something that I naturally sort of gravitated towards. Um, what got me into the business development side of things is I found an opportunity for a migration for the company that I was working for. And I very excitedly told my manager about it and he pulled in the sales guy that was responsible for the, for the account. And, you know, I walked him through the relationship and introduced him to some people and he got a $50,000 commission check for what he did. And I got a $50 gift certificate, gift certificate, gift certificate to Olive Garden. And it frustrated me so bad that I, you know, I was, I was really kind of down and mouth about it. And, um, a guy pulled me aside, a guy named Guy Weaver, who's an engineer for Splunk now. And he said, listen, man, if you want to be a sales guy, knock yourself out. I can tell you that it's a brutal business. But if you want to do it, just understand that you're going you're gonna to have to get over the idea that technology is cool. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, technology really doesn't matter in a business, t- in a business um, framework unless you understand how it impacts business. And that simple little phrase stuck with me. And every time I think about, you know, what my career's done, I really kind of go back to that. And I realize that in, in, in the technical positions and in the, and in the um, sales positions that I've had since then, the, the, my, my true north has always been um, 
I'm, I'm never going to try to convince someone that they, that to, to buy a technology that they don't need. Um, I'm always going to work to make sure that the people that I engage with are, are ethical and that, and that they have, you know, that they have a guiding purpose and that, and that when I, when I think about technology, I need to understand how it impacts business, um, in order for me to, to even recommend it to somebody. So kind of full circle to now, um, I'm the chief revenue officer for a company called Saturus. Um, we are a, so, um, so kind of backtracking on that, I helped, I helped build a really cool company, um, over the, over a, a span of 18 years, it's a company called CDI that just got acquired. Um, so congratulations to the executive team over there and, and, and the folks there, they just got acquired by a company called Converge. And, um, we built that, we built that company from, you know, uh, six people and, and a couple million in revenue to, um, you know, to, to, to where they were when they sold. And, and, and in that period of time, I, I managed, I managed professional services. I managed, um, I managed our, um, our marketing team. I managed our sales team. I sold, I was a strategist. Um, I was a, uh, CISO advisor, and I got the opportunity. The thing that I loved about working for a consulting company is I got the opportunity to understand how different organizations leverage technology. And it's fascinating to me to to look at the motivations for people on why why people make choices to purchase technology. Um, it always makes me scratch my head when someone buys a technology and then six months later issue they issue an RFP for one of the functions that the technology that the technology does. And, and in, in this industry, we spend a lot of time throwing technical solutions at problems when sometimes taking a step back and understanding what is the impact of what we're doing in, in our organization, how does that align? And then, and then the other thing that I think that I think I, I really try to get people to understand is um, when, when, you, when, you, when you approach a problem, it's best to try to understand what the motivations are of the people that are involved in the, in the problem, what they want out of, out of whatever happens next and, and, and what, what's a win for them. And if you can create an environment where, where everybody wins, I mean, you're never going to be able to please all the people all the time, but the closest you can get to understanding the motivation of people around you and understanding how to solve for that, for that motivation, understanding how to, how to, how to, how to align that, um, you always end up in a better position than, than you, than you do if you're not listening and not paying attention to that. So follow that full circle around. I actually just took a, took a promotion. I, I joined, um, I joined Cytrus, um, back in February of last year. And, um, as of May 14th, um, I'm now chief revenue officer for Cytrus. And, and, and really that's, that's all of sales and marketing and pre-sales and, and, and part of, um, uh, client support, client services. And, and what what's exciting to me about the, te- the technology that I'm working with right now is over the years I've I've been involved in a ton of um, advisory work, and there's this thing when when you work for any of the big four or um, an advisory services company of any kind or systems integrator, when you do an advisory service, there's 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 a, a, a paperweight that you you know of, of of stuff that you turn over to a customer. And, you know, it might be a 200 page report and with a business impact analysis on the front and maybe a, 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 an executive opinion letter or, or some sort of attestation. And you drop this paperweight on their desk, you do the executive presentation 
um, everybody nods and smiles and congratulates each other on a, on a project well done. And, and usually the top one or two things gets, gets addressed and then the next emergency happens. And, and often these big strategies that we take on don't last beyond the next, the next emergency. And what, what makes me excited about what I'm doing now is that we, we literally, the, the founder of our company literally saw that problem and he's like, you know what? Um, I'm tired of doing that. I'm tired of trying to make sense of this. Um, let's find a way that we can consistently track that over time. And, and so, so again, I took on a, a small consulting project for this company. It wasn't intending to go back to a full-time role. And um, when, when, when I saw what this platform could do, I jumped in feet first or head first, maybe, and and you know we've we've really seen a lot of a lot of positive traction, and the reason why is because everybody seems to struggle with that same that same challenge. You buy a lot of expensive tools and try to make them make sense to you, but if you don't understand what your overall strategy looks like and you don't understand what you know what you're doing, sometimes it's it's you know it's it's like playing whack-a-mole. You you buy you know you buy a platform to fix something and you fix that and then it's on to the next emergency. And you don't always get all the value. In fact, most people don't get all the value out of, out of any technology that they buy. So kind of full circle to now, um, I like to pretend I'm still technical. Um, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a long ways from being an engineer, but, but I, 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 w- I would rather hang out with technical people because I learn more. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of what I do. Full circle, I'm Chief Revenue Officer for Sightshares Technologies. And um, yeah, we're a risk management company. Oh yeah, sorry. I got married. I got married in there too. So I've been married for twenty-four years this year. I have four children, um, a girl and three boys, and uh, my youngest just graduated from high school last weekend. And that's me. Awesome. Uh, I was gonna say, don't forget the wife, because uh, you'll be you'll be in the doghouse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Life, 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 change, life changing thing getting married for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Katie, I'll pass it over to you. Well, thank you. And hi, Dave. Um, so Dave and I hey, have had a number of conversations. Um, we co-host or, uh, almost every week for the last year and a half, uh, Cybersecurity Week in Review every Friday. Uh, I have a lot of time to to have conversations with them, but you said something new uh, tonight that I love. You said, uh, you know, your path into the space that you're in now, or initially, you know, starting off on the sales side was that it was, it wasn't accidental, it was providential. And I really appreciate that because I think that that is the way that a lot of us fall into the industry. As a lot of you know, I started on the sales side as well. And um, I I really appreciate that you said that uh, about being providential. And I think that um, you know, having spent a lot of time with you as well, one of the things I really admire about you is that while you've navigated technically through a, you know, I, I'm for the most part, a consulting or sales background, and you claim not to be an engineer, um, you're one of the best teachers that I know. Um, you, uh, you have taught me so much and so many people in our industry so much. Um, is there a mentor for you? uh that helped you really appreciate that or is that something that you really came into organically uh, at the beginning of your career when you started out in the, the print uh you know break fix scenario man katie what a what a great question um i think as you know i love mentors and and i i, I 
you know, there, there are many people that have been great mentors to me over the years. <clears throat> um, the first one that I'll call out is, is, is that guy, Guy Weaver. Um, you know, Guy, Guy again, was this, was this engineer um, who's, who's been a senior network engineer the whole, the whole time that I've known him. And he, again, he's the first guy that helped me understand that, 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 that really it's as simple as understanding how technology impacts business. And, and, you know, and again, once you know that you can begin to navigate through, you know, kind of through that process. Um, I will, I will say that, that despite not always seeing eye to eye with this person, um, the CEO of my last of the, of CBI, the company I was with for 18 years, I learned a lot about business and, and, uh, and, and process from him. Um, I learned a lot about, about culture and how, and the importance of culture. Um, there's a guy named Martin Fisher. That's a, that's a CISO of Northside hospital down in Atlanta. Um, he, he taught me a really good lesson. Um, I, I was, I was sitting down with him. Uh, he was working at a company called Wellstar at the time. And we had put together this $7 million solution for him. And I was really excited about working with him. And I was, you know, jazzed about my newly minted HIPAA um, knowledge. And, he, you know, he, 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 we were talking one day and, and listen, one of, one of the things, one of the things that if, if, if you don't know me, if, you know, if you get to know me, you'll understand that I try to learn something from everybody I come in contact with. And, and, but there are some standouts, um, you know, in, in, in that process. And, you know, Martin Fisher was one of those because he, he was, he said, he said, Dave, he said, you know, what do you think is most important to a, to a CISO in, in healthcare? You know, what, what do you, what do you think, what do you think? And he would always make fun of, he calls it business bingo. Um, you know, back when the cloud first started, started becoming a, a ubiquitous word, every time a vendor would say cloud, and he would, he would, you know, press an invisible buzzer and, you know, and, and tune them out. Um, but he, he, he asked me that question and I said, I said, I said, well, that, that's easy. It's protecting, you know, personally identifiable information, protected health information. You know, I'm, I, you know, I'm grinning from ear to ear because I'm, I'm sure that I've gotten it right. And he said, no, it's patient safety. And, and that taught, you know, that taught me a really good, that taught me a really good lesson in, about understanding the business that you're in. And, and, you know, so, so, so as I think about mentorship, I think that, and, and let me get back to Martin for a second. So, so Martin's taught me so many things about, about vendor client relationships, about, about um, loyalty and, you know, about, about strategy and, and, you know, he, he managed a, you know, uh, as a CISO took over a, you know, a, uh, $150 million Cerner um, uh, EHR migration and, and, and crushed it. And, you know, now does, you know, now does a lot of different things at, at his, at his business. But, but again, the things that, you know, the things that he's taught me about vendor relations and about, and about understanding the business that you're in, you know, it's, those things can't, I mean, they're priceless. You can't, you can't pay for training like that um, unless you pay Russell money, in which case then, you know, you're, you're 10 steps ahead of the game. But, but that was a shameless plug, Russell. You're welcome. Just kidding. Um, no, but you know, with, with the with with the with the the idea of mentorship, um, and I'll, I'll I'll bring this full circle in a second. But um, when you think about mentors, um, they say that the the that the since most sincere form of flattery is imitation. It's not. It's asking someone to coach you. And I think the biggest lesson that I can that I can share with anybody that's either new to the industry or or that's been in the industry a long time, I think seeking out people that 
either have knowledge that you need to that you need to gain or or are have done something or are doing something that you've done or that you want to do or or perhaps have coached other people to do it or whatever the most sincere form of flattery is asking them for coaching and most people that are successful um will make the time to to mentor people that are serious about asking to be mentored and so you know hey do i have mentors <laughs> for sure do i have one mentor you know, I, I can, I can point to a few people that are, you know, that have been, that have been very impactful for me. There's a, there's an entrepreneur and angel investor named Charles Bracken in, in Detroit that he's a serial investor in, in, in healthcare companies, built a, built a consulting company, um, you know, sold it to a larger consulting company and then, you know, has continued to build different, different technologies and, and, and companies as a, as an investor. And he's taught me a tremendous amount about the value of money and, and, and the, you know, the gold that exists in existing companies. You don't always have to build something new. You can find, there's lots of things that you can find that are good existing technologies and, and finding a way to make them better or finding a way to apply them to your business in a different way. You know, that's, that, that is a, that is a, that is a strong key. Um, I've been mentored by people on this platform, you know, um, uh, Katie, uh, you've been a mentor to me on, on email security. You're, you're the best person that I know with as in terms of general knowledge about email security. Um, and, and I've learned a lot from you. I've learned a lot from Tom Ryan about, about application security and social engineering. Um, Sean Bertrand is a, is a, is a, you know, runs the, the red team and, and now professional services at CEI, the company I came from, learned a tremendous amount from him about, about hacking and, and, uh, and, and red teaming and, and pen testing. And, and, you know, my, my career has been filled with uh, absorbing as much information as I can from the people around me. And then, and then a question that I ask almost everyone I come in contact with eventually is where do you get the information that's important to you? Um, you know, what sites are you reading? What, um, you know, what's the last great book you read or what's the greatest book you've ever read? Um, I think that there's so much information that's available to us right now. The, the, the trick is not finding information. The trick is, is compartmentalizing it and figuring out what's most valuable, valuable to put in your head and most valuable to spend your time in. And then, and then, and then the other piece is getting involved in, in, in industry groups, um, you know, getting those, you know, whether, whether or not you need um, continuing education um, hours, I think that anything that offers that is always something you should be thinking about if it's relevant to your industry for two reasons. Um, one is the content's often very good, although sometimes it's very bad, but the hallway track on those things is, is, is just so important. Um, the ability to go there and meet people in the hallway and talk to them about, you know, what's important to them, what's important to their industry. I have, I have learned more things, gotten connected to more people and, and engaged in more in, interesting conversations by asking people in the hallway of, of events, you know, just about, about what's, what's important to them than, than, than any, 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 any other single area. Um, so anyway, lots of people I've learned from in lots of, in lots of interesting ways. That was a long answer to your short question. Sorry. No, it was amazing. No, and and what a good reminder now that we're all back in person again. It is so much, uh, what a gift to be able to bump into somebody in the hallway and, and learn some of the best insights. So uh, thank you so much, Dave. I, I, uh, I, over to you. I have, I have a question. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, Sorry, Dave. No, I was yeah. just going to say, I have a question for the, for, for the moderators. Um, now, that, now, that, now that we're past this crazy COVID thing, 
speaking of what Katie just said, I, and when I say past it, I, I understand that, that that there are lots of there are lots of um, scary things in the world, and and I'm not suggesting that that everyone is safe from everything. What I what I am saying is that is that I do believe that we've passed a very important milestone, and that and that is really understanding that that it is important to to engage in person and things. And, and so I guess my question for you is, I think that for the panel is, I think that, that life has changed significantly from a business perspective. What do you guys think is the greatest um, sort of um, the thing that you miss that, you, that you're most benefiting from now as we go back to in-person engagement? And then what are, what are, some, what are a couple of things that you might've learned during COVID that you know, during, during the great shutdown of 2020 um, that, that, that you'll, that you'll now bring with you in your business and in, 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 in your team building. I feel like if it's okay with the other mods, if I can answer this one first, because I do have to drop slightly early this evening for an event at my son's school, but I have to say this because, uh, the thing I learned the most is that I'm actually uh, an okay public speaker and that I'm actually an okay, uh, email expert. And it was one day during COVID I was making a grilled cheese sandwich and listening to a clubhouse room and Dave, who I had worked with in his previous you know, iteration at one of his companies said, okay, do you know a thing or two about email? Right. And I was like, well, yes, I do. And you know, in the middle of making a grilled cheese sandwich, very nervously came on stage and spoke to a room. And it was uh, one of those things. So I think for me, um, you know, coming out of COVID and now being able to go and and present in person and um, carry that skill set through, um, but also want to take that opportunity to say you were the one who really were the, was the first person to get me up on stage at all on this platform. So that's that's an incredible honor to have done that, Katie. Because if I was part of exposing you to the you know to the world of of, uh, of networking in, in, in that way and engagement, man, I feel so, I feel so fortunate because you have so much to offer. Um, when, 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 when you've done those diversity conversations on here, I mean, I, I, you've, you've made me recognize some things in a way that I, that I've never thought about before. So yeah, that, that's awesome. I think it's a really good point. What do the rest of y'all think about that? But just, you know, what, 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 what do you most like about being back you know, back engaging with people and then, and then what are you going to, what are you going to keep with you from, from the COVID time, from the dark times? So um, I'll chime in here because um, I think that there's so many silver linings from the last and lessons from the last two and a half years that um, I'm still trying to figure out all of the things that have been learned. But one of the things that I learned was um that time with the people that you love just can't be replaced. Um, and so I'm making mindful decisions about how to spend my time as there are new demands um, that I haven't had um, in terms of place and space. Um, and so I think for uh, like, I'm still navigating it. I found out that I was really amazing at um, doing all sorts of cooking at home that I just didn't have, like including breaking breads. I didn't know that I was great at making breads. Who knew? But here I am. Um, so I think that, um, you know, I wrote a book during the COVID times. I figured out that there were lots of things I could do with that extra time and energy. And I don't want to lose that um, initiative and momentum because I don't think I have to. 
That's awesome. That that whole idea of work, you know, work smarter, not harder. I, I mean, and and I, I don't know. I feel like I'm working just as hard as I ever have right now. But 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 you're right. Um, being intentional about taking that time. Um, you know, I went golfing during the daytime with my 20 year old son, and I I just want to do that every day now. <laughs> that's that's all I want to do when I wake up in the morning. I'm like, hey, I want to go play golf with my kid. You know, anyway, I, and I and I think and I think I, I you know it, it took me a while to figure that out, but I I think you're right. I think that I think that's a really good a really good example of that with COVID. Yeah, I would say I like how you turned this whole spotlight from you to us. Um, like I, I kind of peeped that, but I'm gonna answer your question, Dave. Um, and then I'm gonna kind of throw it back to you, right? So for me, um, one of the things like before COVID, I was super engaged in trying to have, trying to be visible and be a role model, not a one-on-one role model, but like just super engaged in trying to be a role model and pulling more people to be out there to provide representation within the industry so that people know that, you know, that they too can be a, a, um, in security at high levels functioning. And during COVID, I realized how much me and my group of friends, which was my group of friends were like maybe 60 or 70 people were just failing because so many people were lost, right? So many people did not, and I'm grateful for platforms like Clubhouse and, and Tomas for pulling, you know, this group together. But it's just one of those things that I realized that um, there were so many people who were out there wondering and did not know and like did not have groups of people or or they were just kind of they wanted to be in security, but they didn't know how to kind of maneuver within that or even look up to see anyone else. And so um, so that's one of the things I learned during COVID. And one of the things that I kind of take with me is I'm super engaged with my team of what I can actually handle, like my team of people who report into me to make sure that they are supported and have full um, and have full uh, support from a training development, you know, whatever you want to do that you can do it and trying to be very intentional around building them up so that they can actually do whatever they want to do. Um, even if it's not stay at Equifax Canada with me, right? So I just I just think that's something that um, that I realized it was an awesome moment for me. Man, I, but I would actually. Oh, I was ahead. just gonna say I I love that Octavia, I, and I and I hope I hope we continue with that. I hope I hope we continue to provide people with the, with a voice. I hope that people are continually encouraged to t- to step out and take you know take that take that initiative. There are many people you know. Um, Jenny Hederman in the audience there. Um, she's she's uh, works. She's a she's a great attorney. Works in risk for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I never would have met Jenny had I had I not, you know, had 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 this had this platform not have happened and had Clubhouse not have you know done what it done what it's done. And now, why would I ever go to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts LinkedIn page? Now I actually go there and watch some of their content. It's pretty good, <clears throat> you know, their their risk content. So I I think I think you're right. I think I think one thing. You know, we're we're able to we're able to now integrate with this cross you know cross industry cross geographic um, you know you know perspective, and we're getting exposure to people that we never would have before. And I think 
that you know we can we can we can hang our heads and feel sorry for ourselves or we can take advantage of the value that this time has been and and it's been tragic for many many people and I, and I don't want to take anything away from that because it has been a very difficult time for lots of people but but if we if we figured out my, my dad always says your attitude determines your altitude and if we figure out the way that we're going to approach this moving forward and we understand what altitude we want we want to be at and take initiative from a business perspective i think you're spot on octavia i, th- I think i think you just made a really solid point thank you for thank you for doing that i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no you're fine like one of the things that you said um when you were doing your um your intro was you know well your your origin story was that you had someone that kind of talked to you and you like it was an aha moment for you that technology impacts business, right? So like one of the things that we kind of look at and we understood during a COVID was like people wanted so badly to get into cyber and to, to be a cyber engineer or a consultant or an analyst, right? But just for those in the audience, like I would ask you like how much do you or what can you actually say to those who are we're looking to 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 really maneuver and kind of move up. You know, technology impacts business, but how much does business impact technology? And actually, as you as a chief revenue officer, what value do you see in cyber and like those um those team members and those employees kind of adding value back to your bottom line? Yeah, thanks for that question, Octavia. I, th- I think it's a really important one. Um, I think that. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to mentors again, just because there's so many people that have impacted me in a positive way. Um, the first CISO that I saw that, that actually had the pulse of a CEO and a CIO was a guy named John Biscow. Um, he's, he was the, he was the CISO for Flagstar Bank. And I had been, I had been engaging with, uh, with CIOs, with, with, there weren't really a lot of chief information security officers, but it had been it had been IT directors or CIOs or CFOs, and most of the security people were were people that took didn't really know security. They had just taken the role, um, either because they were interested in cybersecurity, and and this isn't universally true. There are lots of people that knew a lot about security, but mostly in leadership positions, it was it was the guy that wasn't you know it was the guy at the at the hospital that that was the least busy, um, you know least busy. IT guy or finance guy that had gotten along with one of the auditors. And, and so they, they, you know, waved the magic, the, made the magic sign and, and blessed them as the, as the information security officer. Um, John Biscoe is different. Um, he's the first guy that, that I, that I met that, that came from a business background and he was a finance guy and he, he figured out how to, how to, learn cybersecurity. So he, you know, he, he, he latched on to some of the people that were, you know, um, he, he was doing some innovative stuff like loan and loan origination over ISDN lines, you know, video loan origination over ISDN lines back in the early 2000s and early, you know, late nineties and, and, you know, super, super cutting edge stuff with Intel pro share cards. And, and, you know, this, this is a, this is a guy that, that, you know, did some cool things with technology, but he really learned from the people around him and, and, you know, and, and really sucked in all the all the cybersecurity information he could, but the thing that I that I noticed about him is that he had a way. There was a guy named Charles uh, Charles Kirkpatrick that was the CIO at the time, and Charles was was kind of this you know old school, um, you know business guy, bank you know banking board of executives or you know um, uh, uh, you know board member um, 
you know, super executive presence. And John had figured out how to communicate to this guy from a business perspective, what, you know, what's, what's required and what's, you know, and, and, and how to, uh, you know, how, how to, how to, how to place value on, on solutions and how to, you know, how to get the most out of your technology and stuff like that. So he just figured out what this guy's number was and, and, and really, you know, it wasn't manipulative at all. It was him, it was him really looking at what does Charles want from the, you know, what does Charles want? What is the business asking Charles to do? What is Charles really saying when he has these stand, you know, these meetings with his, with his team and he, you know, he, he, Pounds a table and talks about what's important, and he, you know, whatever, whatever, his, whatever gestures he's making, whatever posture he's making, um, you know, what is he really thinking, and what's important to him? And and by the way, Charles is a very, a very accomplished executive, you know, really good guy, but but he was, you know, he he had a way about him, and so and so John figured out how to how to really understand what he wanted, and and also understand what he needed, and guide the conversation in a way that made Charles successful. And I think, and I think any advice that I would give to anybody at any level is if you want to move up quickly in an organization, you've got to understand what does the business want? What does the, what does the business actually desire to have happen? Um, and I, and I think, I think you owe it to yourself in this market as a technology professional. I think you owe it to yourself to understand whether or not your company is capable of getting you to, of getting the business to where they want to go. Um, and if you if you can impact that and make it go faster, if you can find a way to do something better, if you can find a way to articulate how technology spend can help grow the business, if you can find a way to, um, you know, truly understand what that intersection of what the business wants and what the business needs, um, you know, where that intersection is, you can successfully do lots of things. And 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 so I think that's true at every level within an organization. I think. I think if you're a, you know, if you, if you're a, if you're a help desk guy, I think, you, you know, I think many people, you know, many people kind of look down on sock positions or, or help desk positions and they're like, yeah, you know, it's entry level, you know, but, but if you're in customer care, for instance, you have an understanding of what your customers actually are talking about. If you are in, so if you're, if you're in client success, if you're in, if you're in customer care, if you're in customer service, if you're a CSR, you're, you're, you're so close to what the, you know, to what the people want. Um, uh, um, you, you, you have, you have the ability to, to understand, you know, what, what your customers are thinking and saying. And when you do that, when, when you, when you get an understanding of that, you, you've got, you've got intelligence that the business doesn't always think about. Um, by the same token, if you're a SOC analyst, you you have visibility into what into what's happening from a cybersecurity perspective at your business, and if you educate yourself and understand what are the ramifications for my business, what are other companies doing in this in this in this arena, I think if you're an employee of a publicly traded company, if you haven't read your 10K, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, there's information available about publicly traded companies that everyone has access to, and if you're not reading it. You're never going to advance in the in the in, in the company the way that you the way that you need to be. Um, one of the things that I learned about from a sales perspective, you know, I, I never I still hate it when people call me a salesperson. Um, I'm, I'm I'm pretty good at it, but I hate it when people call me a salesperson. I, I it just makes me feel it makes me feel like a used car guy, and it makes me feel a little slimy when somebody says points at me and says sales. Um, the, the CEO of CBI always used to say I was a nuclear sales engineer and, and I, and I, and I, I, I really like that designation, but, 
but one of the things that I learned is, is you, you have to, you have to figure out what your common ground is with, you know, with the people you're dealing with. You have to, you have to figure out what they need. Um, you have to figure out, you know, if, if, if they're asking you, if they're saying they, they want something and you can recognize that they need something else, if you can find a way to work with them and understand them well enough so that you can help them come to a decision on their own, not forcing them to make a decision, but help them get to a decision that they make on their own. Not only, not only are you going to benefit from it, but they're going to benefit from it. And you're going to make a friend for life in that process. And so I think you have to do that up and down the ladder, up and down the chain in, in an organization. If you can figure out what the direction of your company is and communicate that to your customers and your constituents, your end users, it doesn't matter where you are on the, on, on the ladder. It's going to push you up by, by, by raising up the things that you do because, because you're committed to doing things for other people. And I think by the same token, you understand what the people above you want and then, and then, and then leverage that to, you know, in a, in a way that, in a way that's, uh, that, that's helpful for them as well. I don't know. Long answer, short question. Hopefully that answer, answered what you were saying. But you're at. Right. So what is our, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, I just want to say I love that. I, I love that, you know, looking at looking at it from you have to look at your business um, and really understand it. Right. Like kind of going into like looking at the 10 Ks, understanding your proposition. And even if you're like a junior level or entry level for you to actually have take the initiative to actually look at your your business model and what what makes your company um successful and then the future of where they're trying to get to and even the investor relations um the investor relations meetings and listening to those recordings is, is super um helpful as well to understand where your company is going right i agree with that I, um go ahead dave I was going to say, I'd like to, I'd like to respond to something, uh, you know, a couple of people have said in the chat. First of all, Tom, you're spot on. Cyber is a lifetime of endless learning. The day you stop learning is the day you start dying. And, and I, I really think that, I really think that that's, that that's just so, it's just so, it's so important. So apropos, there's a, there's a website, there's a guy named Josh Kaufman that has a website called personalmba.com. Um, and, and this, he, he wrote a book about it, um, but he's got a book list on his site. So his, his premise is that you don't really need a, um, a, a, a degree from a B school or an MBA to, you know, to, 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 to build that next, you know, that to get to that next rung on the ladder of whatever ladder you're climbing. And, and I really like the list of, and, and there's lots of lists of business books out there, but I like his manifesto. And I like the way he pushes that forward. Um, you know, you know, again, and I mentioned this earlier, um, we have access to so much information and he's, you know, Josh Kaufman's put together this, this business list and there, there, there are better lists out there, but, but, but none of them are, are as simply arranged as this one. So personalmba.com, um, you know, he talks about his journey in, in learning about business and, and, and I think at any level, at any level of any organization that you're in, you have to, you know, if, if you want to get ahead in this life and, and even, I mean, that sounds so trite when I say, if you want to get ahead in this life, anyway, I'm not trying to be cliche, 
but you do have to understand marketing and sales and finance and technology and systems and automation and processes and, and, and executive development and all those things. Reading, you know, looking at that list of books and, and, and reading the ones that appeal to you. If you don't understand what, you know, what direction you're, 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 you're looking to go, look at that list of books and find one that calls out to you and appeals to you. Read the book. If it's interesting, read another one. Um, you will find your path as you devour the information that's around you, as you ask successful people what they're, you know, what they're reading, what they're paying attention to, who they're interacting with. And, you know, and, and again, going back to that mentor, you know, that mentoring process. But, but I think, you know, I think, I, I think, I think you really have to, you have to be intentional about your, about your, about your learning process. And you are never too old or never too young to, to be mentored or to learn. Personal MBA is a good book. I've read that one. And I agree with you, Dave. You are definitely never too old to be mentored. Um, David Cass, I know you just you joined us a little while ago. I'll just give you a minute to introduce yourself. I also want to say, uh, if there's anybody in the audience uh, that wants to jump up on stage and ask Dave a question, feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up and you can ask uh, a question. So David Cass, why don't you uh, take a minute to introduce yourself? And if you do have a question for Dave, why don't you ask it? Oh, sure. Uh, David Cass, uh, again, any opinion expresses my own. Uh, currently the uh, global CISO and CTO for GSR.io, uh, crypto market making company, uh, former federal appointee. So happy to be joining you guys uh, today. And, and I guess uh, the question I have for Dave, probably, uh, so now I've gone from big corporate to startups and it's a whole different world. So you have a lot of experience kind of working in that space. So how do you kind of, you know, help be a culture carrier in something completely new like that? Oh man, I, th I think that's a, what a great question, David. And I've, you know, I've had the opportunity to kind of go both directions on that. I've worked for the smallest of the small and, and I've worked for some fairly large companies as well. And I think that, I think that one of the things that you have to do is, is, is embrace culture within your, within your department figure out what the corporate culture is. First of all, when you, when you take a role in an organization, um, I think one of the filters that people need to think about as they're, as they're, as they're moving through um, that, that upwards climb or that, that, you know, that tangential climb, um, you know, whether, whether you're, you know, whether you're climbing a corporate ladder or whether you are, you are, you know, um, going from ladder to ladder or whatever, I think you have to be cautious about the cultures that you join. Um, it is not very often that you can go into a business and change the culture of the business. Um, the, the flip side of that is as when you're joining a startup, you do have that ability to, to, to make that impact. And so I think, you know, I think, I think a couple of things, I think you have to decide what hill you're going to die on. Um, there are some very strong personalities in, in startup organizations. And, and, and if you read, you know, you go back and, 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 and read the old Bibles of this industry, Crossing the Chasm, Inside the Tornado by Jeffrey Moore, um, The Innovator's Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. Um, and you really look at how, I mean, I mean that stuff, that stuff was, was relevant 25 years ago when it was written and it's relevant today. Um, understanding how, you know, how innovative, you know, Blue Ocean, like, 
there's just there's just a ton of great reading material out there on 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 culture and you know and building that uh, Patrick Lencioni's books on culture are you know his his leadership fables are just amazing. Um, I think one of the things that you have to do from a cultural perspective is 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 really you know again as you're joining a company make sure that it's a culture that you can live with because because you may not be able to change it. Um, I think you know secondarily find um, find ideas and authors and and leaders that can articulate what, you know, what you, what you know to be true. Um, make sure that you're, that you're doing your research with outside, you know, outside organizations as well. One thing that happens with strong world people in a, in a strong world culture is that many times, um, you know, you, you've been in synergy a long time and, you know, you, you, there are things that you inherently just know. And, and there will be times when people, when you make a suggestion and people will not listen to you until it's validated by an outside, you know, by an outside party. So if you think about Gartner and any, any, any number of the other, you know, analyst organizations that are out there, um, keep a, keep a file of things that are culturally important to you. Um, stay, you know, stay reading industry rags. Um, everything from, you know, even if you're not, uh, you know, not in the computer reseller industry, Read computer reseller news. There's a lot of there's a lot of data in magazines like that, in Forbes and Fortune, and you know, in 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 uh, computer reseller news, in in even in stuff like SC Magazine. You know, get to know get to know the data sources that you that you that you um, that you uh, you know that you trust. And and one hard lesson for me is, and and this is really difficult for me because words of affirmation are a really important motivator for me. Um, so I just I just smile from ear to ear, ear to ear when I get credit for something. It's almost better than money, not quite, but almost better than money. Um, when 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 a great idea comes from me and I'm right, oh man, I love that. But one of the things that I'm trying really hard to do is I'm trying really hard to when I notice something that you know that perhaps needs to needs to be impacted in one way or the other, um, try to get to it with you know with your leadership team. So build the culture within your own team. Um, outside with other leaders, one of the things that's really valuable to do is is work through it with them. Instead of just bringing a package solution to them, work through it with them, and figure out a way. In, in life, all you want to do is sit on the same side of the table as somebody else. I mean, that's that's the. I think that's a secret to relationships, right? Figure out a way to sit on the same side of the table so it's you and them against the world. And when you do that, that's magic. It's magic in personal relationship it's, relationships. It's magic in professional relationships. So I think, you know, I think really, you know, getting a body of evidence that, that you know, that, that points to ideas that are important to you and then sharing that in a way that is not, hey, you know, this is the way we should do things or you're an idiot, you know, instead, in and I'm not suggesting that you would go about something that way. I'm being a little, I'm being a little melodramatic for effect, but, you know, instead, you know, taking that study with them, you know, bringing out the malware bytes report or the, or the DBR from, from Verizon or whatever and saying, you know, listen, here's what's going on from a trends perspective. I mean, what do you think about that? And then, you know, and, and by the way, here's an article from Gartner that says that, you know, spend's going to increase in this area. What can we do about that? And, and if you can, and if you can have that coll- be collaborative and you're sitting on that side of the table, then you're not holding one over on people and lecturing them. And in the end, when you affect change that way, you, you help the organization trust you in a way that's in a, in a way that's natural and real.
Uh, thanks. That's definitely a great answer. Uh, Tomas, I'll turn it over back to you. Yeah, I'm so surprised nobody's raised their hand to jump up on stage to ask you a question, Dave. This is a, a shock to the system. Either that or they're, they're just very much intrigued with everything that you're saying, and they are speechless. Um, but look, I'll, I'll pass it over to you, Russell. Uh, I think you have another question, so I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, happy to. Uh, and they, what a treat uh, to be sitting beside you here in uh, the stage on Clubhouse and the work you've done at creating community, being a great partner in Clubhouse. Um, every Friday at 2 p.m. when I'm available, I always come in and I always learn something. Um, and it's always just an amazing um, opportunity and space that you create. So I, I really appreciate that so much. Uh, you reminded me, I mean, when we talked about uh, 1987, Lotus One, Two, Three were perfect. I'm like, man, going down memory lane, and and, and it's just so. Uh, we're all interesting, really Russell. Yeah, <laughs> we are. We are. Yep. And I think that you know, my question you talked earlier about you know your advisory service, uh, and and I love the the words that you use. You know, the reactions you get to the you know air quote paperweights. What's your like best and worst? Like, is there an example where somebody like took that paperweight, did something with it, and or maybe you have an experience where someone just like maybe threw it in the trash or something? Yeah, you know, I'm just kind of giving ideas of what's some like best and worst responses to uh, delivery and receipt of that paperweight that you mentioned earlier. You know, it's a weird thing in consulting. Um, I think that sometimes people are when when people pay a lot of money for a service. I, I think something, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the emperors, emperor where, you know, has no clothes type of thing. When, when you, when you get the deliverable and you're disappointed with it, you have to be careful about what you, you know, kind of what you say with that, because you're the one that, if you're the buyer, you're the one that stood behind, you know, you're the one that made the decision to buy from that company. And so sometimes when people are disappointed with the, you know, with, with things like that, I have seen people just kind of clam up and, you know, thanks for the deliverable and, and, you know, you recognize that you don't, you know, you won't, you won't get the business again. I think that, I think that again, one of the things I love about Saturus is, is we naturally, um, because it's just a part of our DNA, we naturally follow up and we naturally manage the process with the customer and we become partners with the customer and, and our partners through that process. So, so, and, and I, this is not a pitch for Saturus, but I'll, I'll just tell you a little bit about the evolution of the company. Cause I think it's important to understand we were a advisory services consulting company for many years. Um, and, and the platform that we have was a product of seven years of work from our founder going from spreadsheets and huge word documents to saying, I, I can't even manage this. Like, like not only does it not make sense to my customers, it doesn't even make sense to me anymore. And so he built this web platform and, and, you know, three years ago, um, companies like KPMG and ENY would come into his, you know, come into his customers that where he'd done an assessment and that had this platform and they would say, Hey, you know, what's this platform? Because the customer would like, would, you know, would spit out an audit report for, you know, pre-audit report for them. And, you know, it'd be like a NIST, you know, NIST 800, 171 report or, or, you know, whatever it was. And they'd say, you know, can we get, can we get our hands on it? And the customer would say, man, you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he'd be willing to do that. And then, they would call him up and, and, and Robert would say, no, you can't have it. That's mine. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my, that's my IP. No, you, you know, no, you can't license it. No, you can't have it. No, you can't, you know, you can't pay me for it. You can't buy it. It's mine. And, you know, a couple of years ago, 
um, Satyrus became intentional about offering it as a platform. So we're pretty young in terms of offering it as a platform. We've offered it as a service for years. We're young in offering offering it as a platform. And I think what that's done is it's really created that, you know, created that 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 sort of end to end connectivity with people in a positive way. Um, I think I think that the probably the you know the, I I literally have had someone um, not to me but I've had I've watched someone um, that that I was you know that I was an advisor to I've watched someone literally throw away a consulting um, uh, uh, result in you know literally trash it like literally say this is garbage and throw it in their, you know throw out the garbage can um, what I what the reaction that I like to see from people is for them to come back anytime and say, and say, listen, you know, I appreciate the work that you've done. These things did not meet the mark. What can we do to get to the right spot there? Um, and I think the people that approach things that way and are, and are intellectually honest, listen, I, I think in any consulting engagement, anytime you're doing advisory services, the most important thing is transparent communication. Um, if you can both get over your egos, you know, ego is a big thing in this industry. Ego, ego spoils more business than anything else in this industry. You can both get over yourselves and, and, and enter into a transparent conversation where you're where you're able to be intellectually honest with each other and and call each other out when when things are you know when things are, are not you know not as they as they need to be and say, listen, how do we get this to great and and work together to get there, that's when the magic happens. That that's amazing. And for the record, it was not me. I just made up that thing about throwing it away. But uh, sad that it actually happened. <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, that's happened. It, yeah. Well, and you know, we get to it, it, like whatever. It's just so cool. The question you asked earlier of you know things that we'll get to do in the future now that the world is uh, behaving itself a little bit better. Uh, the in person, the uh, just the hoping. There's very few, if any, folks I've met in real life as I'm scrolling through the room here and. The of uh, the thoughts of wow, I get to like see you in person, and I've had that experience a couple times last month when I went to San Diego at an event, and it's like whoa, that I hear, I recognize that voice, and and I and there you are, and and it's just gonna be so amazing as we're able to and willing to uh, get together, and um, maybe not as much as we used to, but to connect in person is something that uh, is super super special. I look forward to doing more of it. Russell, I, I think we should make it a point to. Um to start building some meetups. I, I know Jennifer's done some of the Jennifer Sanders has done some of this. Tom, Tom Ryan's done some of this, but I mean, wouldn't it be cool if the cybersecurity community on clubhouse either, either at black hat or something had a, had a, had a designated meetup um, where, you know, where we actually got a you know, got a venue and, and uh, you know, met up and spent some time together or, you know, maybe intentionally a year from now um, have something in person I know, I know, I know. Tom's Tom's uh, Tom's Zoom background at least looks like a really huge place. Maybe he can just host it at his at his at his, at his uh, Wall Street apartment in, in New York or something. But but in all in all seriousness, I you know I, I agree with you. I think I think getting together in person is a really good idea, and I, and, I, and I hope that more of us do that as as this as this continues to grow. Well, we'll definitely see a few of you at RSA uh, next week. But yeah, I I definitely agree. I think. Uh, in-person meetups are are definitely definitely needed um 
Anil, you want to say something? Sure. I got a quick question for Dave. Uh, and, you know, I, I agree. I mean, if anything taught us, you know, the in-person connection is critical, right? Uh, virtual is nice, but it does not replace that in-person, you know, engagement. Um, Dave, you know, one of the things is, you know, I've learned over the years is we share a lot of the same peers, colleagues. Some of them happen to be clients. Uh, one theme that holds true with all of them, uh, they talk about you, is trust and how you've established it. Uh, tell us about where that comes from, how you go about establishing, you've touched upon it, but establishing trust, especially when you're engaging uh, external party, uh, you, you're stepping into that role as trusted advisor. What goes into the makeup of being that entity uh, that uh, you, know, you can rely upon? Man, Anil, first of all, <laughs> You, uh, I, I know you didn't do this intentionally, but I said words of affirmation about about ten minutes ago, and you just gave me words of affirmation. I got to tell you, like that, that. I mean, that's that's. Go, I'm gonna I'm gonna glow about that for a couple hours here. So thank you for that. Oh, I, I heard um, you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right on, man. Well, listen, uh, you know, I, I I couldn't ask for for a better compliment than that. I think I think that you know, for, for me, trust is important. Trust is important to me because you know I've been burned and 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 it, it's it's just it's just never a good feeling. I think I think some things go into trust. I think you can't force trust. You can't make someone trust you. And the more you try, the less someone's going to trust you. So so first of all, we, we can we can get rid of the idea that that it's possible to make someone trust you. Um, I think the things that go into establishing a trust relationship are honesty. And when I when I say honesty. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do is walk away from a seven-figure deal that was going to pay my mortgage um, because it wasn't the right solution for a customer. But I promise you that the one time I've, you know, with just about everyone I've ever done business with, I have steered them away from a project at one time or another. And it's because I truly didn't think it was the right thing for them to do. When all the cards were on the table and I, and I, and I saw what everybody brought to the table, um, I will always, without question, advise someone not to go down a path if it's the wrong path. And that's, and that's something that I, I don't think in my career I've broken more than one or two times. And when I, you know, when I, when I've done that, it's always been, and, and, you know, very early in my career, um, I said I was never going to sell anything and never and never work in technology. Um, one summer, um, when I was 18 years old, I worked for three months for a company called Pace Setter, and they were basically Anderson Windows but door to door. So think of Tin Cup. Um, I was that guy, and and I was with a so so I'm 18 years old. I'm I'm the youngest person this company has ever hired as an outside salesperson. I have no idea how I got the job. But I'm riding with a guy who's 26 years old, and he's he's the second youngest guy this company ever hired, right? And and this guy's this guy this guy can sell ice cubes to Eskimos. I mean, he's he's just he's just a he's just an incredibly gifted salesperson and, and probably probably a con artist to boot. But but he sold. I, I so I was riding with him, you know, kind of learning the ropes, and and uh, he sold customer replacement windows to a woman in Farmington, New Mexico that you could see through the cracks in her walls. And he sold her $35,000 worth of windows. And I felt so awful walking away from that. 
I mean, it, it just, it, it just, it was everything in me. Not like I felt like throwing up. And and when I saw that, I one of the things that I realized is that it's just, it's just never worth it. It's not worth it. If if you get to the point where you're so hardened that you can that you can not only watch someone make a bad decision but help them make a bad decision. I just don't know how you can live with yourself. And and that's and, and so I have this visceral reaction to to steering someone down a wrong path. Now that doesn't mean that I that I haven't taken risks in business. That doesn't mean that I haven't, you know, that I haven't asked people to trust me in, you know, in in scenarios where where um it where it was a stretch for me to deliver what we needed to deliver. But I've always made it my, the, my, my mission to make sure that, that whatever we were delivering, we were going to deliver it effectively. And then I think, I think that, I think the biggest piece of trust is just getting on that, getting on the same side of the table as someone else. Um, you know, there's lots of aphorisms about that, about walking a mile in someone else's shoes. And then I like, especially like the Jack Candy one, because then. Um, when they want their shoes back, you're a mile away and you have their shoes and how are they going to come chase you or whatever. Anyway, that's a weird Jack, Jack Handy deep thoughts from Saturday Night Live from years ago. But, but really that idea of putting yourself in someone else's shoes and, and, and letting them know that you're on their side and that you're in it together and then, and then really making it so that, so that that's true. So you're researching it together and together you figure out what the gaps are between what someone wants and someone needs and then, and then helping them achieve that and helping them get to the next level. There's no better thing than helping someone else get a promotion. There's no better thing than, than, than walking away from a project at the other end of it and, and having, having your, your stakeholders boss tell them that's the best project that, that, that they've ever been involved with. Tell them that, that, that in that project, they've proven themselves to go to the next level in the organization. Man, there's no greater reward than that. Yeah, appreciate that, Dave, and sharing that. You know, I I knew that was your mantra, but you know, it, you're in rarefied air because you know that that mentality does not does not exist, and uh, especially from an external perspective, uh, you know, having that all bought in that we're in this together mentality is is critical. Yeah, thanks, Anil. And so, some sometimes that's not that's not immediately apparent. Like you you don't you don't always win up front with that. And so it's, it's, it's something that often you have to take, you have to take in faith. And I'm a huge believer in faith, man. It's, uh, it really does move mountains. And so if you'll trust the process and trust your gut with those things, if you'll, if you'll focus in on people that are ethical and, and if, and if, and if you're consistently ethical, um, in, in your personal and professional lives, it, it, it pays dividends in the end. Just a quick room reset. If you just joined us, uh, we're joined this evening by uh, by Dave Glenn. Uh, he's been sharing a lot about his journey and his origin story and, and a lot of good pieces of advice uh, um, to help you in, in your career. So I encourage you, if you just joined us, to listen to the playback once this is all said and done. Uh, it's about 9, 15 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to go for another 15 uh, fifteen. Ish minutes or so, because we do have a few folks on stage. I do want to ask a question. So, Jenny, I'll pass it over to you. Hey, everybody! Nice to see everybody. Hi, Dave. Uh, <clears throat> one thing I wanted to, one thing I wanted to say about Dave is um, the one word I associate with Dave is in, encouragement, and I think um, it's something that's so important uh, with all the people that have been in the the cyber room. A lot of the folks in today is it's um, it's a group that's very encouraging, and I think with a lot of folks who who are concerned about getting into cybersecurity. That's the one thing I found 
in this community is it's very encouraging, especially for folks like me who are not specifically in the technical area, but come in kind of sideways into this into this room. So I just wanted to thank Dave for always always being encouraging. And his Friday room, the Cybersecurity Week in Review, it's definitely a wonderful room and I encourage folks to, to go into that on Fridays. But my question to you, Dave, being in the risk area also is, you know, when you've done your presentation and you have all the proof in the world of solutions that everybody knows need to be done and, you know, they want to do it, but they just don't have necessarily um, the interest just because of triaging other things or, or necessarily the financial or other support to really take that next step, even if you're there to jump in the trenches with them. Um, how do you let go in those situations with even, even when you come back and you, you keep asking them, are you ready? Are you ready? How do you kind of let go and not see it as a failure when you're, you have been unsuccessful getting them to move to that next, you know, chess move? Yeah, Jenny, um, you know, the measures of our character, thank you for the question. The measures of our character are not what happens when we win. The measures of our character are what happens when things don't go our way. And, and I think, and I think that's, you know, I, I don't always handle that real well, to be honest. Um, it, it's frustrating to me when I can see um, a good friend of mine always uses the, the analogy that, that um, he would, he would play Tomb Raider with his daughter and he'd be frustrated. He, you know, he'd be sitting there trying to, you know, trying to, uh, trying to find a hidden doorway or whatever. And, and, and his, his, you know, his, his nine-year-old daughter would walk into the room and say, Hey dad, why don't you go through the door in the tree? And for half an hour, he's been trying to figure out, you know, how to get, how to get to the next level. And it's always frustrating when, when you see, um, when, 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 when the way to go over an obstacle or through an obstacle is right in front of you and, and, and you can't get the customer or your partner to see that. It's a very frustrating thing. So I think for me, um, the, my trite answer is you, you, you build plausible deniability for yourself by, by forcing the, forcing your, your, your partner, your counterpart to accept the risk. And, 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 and then you say, I told you so when there's a breach, um, that's the, you know, that's kind of the industry way. Um, I think it's become really important to me to help people measure um, gaps within their organization. And that's one thing that we, that we don't often follow all the way through with because it's hard. Um, you know, the, the ability to assess a situation, to um, measure, you know, measure the, you know, measure the, 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 um, the, the risk and then prioritizing that. And then after you do that, then start to remediate like, like that process um, people skip by the, by the prioritization often and, or skip by the measurement and they try to prioritize, prioritize and remediate without that actually measuring impact to the business. And so I think it's about changing the conversation. Um, the idea of risk is, you know, there, there's all sorts of fancy, you know, equations about what risk is. Um, and, and, you know, one of my personal passions that we didn't talk about at all today was, is, is my, I, I really have a desire to help young people understand what risk is, you know, and, and for me, it's really simple. What's the best that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? Um, 
and how do I make how do I make a decision based on that moving forward? And so I think I think the that measurement idea and then prioritizing based based on that measurement is what's really important. So when when somebody when somebody says no, when I when I can't get them to understand, um, I often feel as though that I, as though I have failed because because I I I feel like it's it's my fault because the communication if I would have been a better communicator, if I would have given them different results, or if I would have, you know, if I would have tried to help them, um, you know, understand a little better or whatever, like, like all those things kind of weigh on my, you know, weigh on my shoulders. But I think, I think it's really, um, sometimes you have to walk away and say, um, you know, I provided you with the data. Um, you have, you, 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 you understand the reason why. And for some reason we couldn't get your organization to, to see it. And sometimes it's because people are reluctant to, um, often, often people are reluctant to take advisors into their, into their leadership. And part of the reason why is they're, they, they feel like if, if someone that's more articulate than they are, or someone that has a better understanding of their business than they do, or, you know, whatever, whatever those reasons are, it's because of feelings of inadequacy on that person's part. And sometimes I think you have, you just have to give people a pass for that because they've been burned so many times by a subordinate you know, going around them and making them look bad or whatever. So sometimes you just have to say, you know, this person is damaged and that's the reason why, you know, I can't get them to, I, I can't figure out how to get them to articulate it to their leadership. And, 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 and they're, you know, and they're too afraid to put me in front of their leadership. Um, and, and sometimes you just have, you just have to partner with, partner with them and say, Hey, I get it. You know, let's, let's get as much information together. Let's, let's build the right compensating control for that. If we can, um, let's, let's make sure the business knows the risk. And then, and then I think, you know, um, I'm not above, you know, I, I don't like slimy salespeople, but I'm not above using fear, uncertainty and doubt by, by leveraging industry stories. So every time there's a breach, every time I hear about a breach, I try to think of someone that could benefit, like, like whether or not I'm doing business with them at Citrus or Kip Advisors or whatever, um, I try to think of someone that could benefit someone I've talked to in the last couple of years that, that has reached an impasse that, that could benefit from hearing that story. And I try to send them that story and I try to say, listen, you know, I, I, you know, I know we talked 18 months ago about this and you were struggling to get your business to understand that here's an example of someone that didn't take action on it and has, and has failed as a result of it. That's great. Thank you as always, Dave. Thanks for the question, Jamie. Always, always great, great things coming from you. Uh, I'm talking on mute. Tom, over to you, my friend. Hey, Dave, how's it going? So, I, Thomas Aranis. You, know, you, you and I talk a lot, different rooms, different, you know, offline, everything else. Yes, sir. One thing I've never asked you. Okay. You know, what was your biggest win and which gave you the best feeling in all your years inside? Wow. My, the best, this, this is, this is a really silly one, but the thing that just popped into my head is passing the 688 TCPIP test for my MCSE after taking it twice. Cause I didn't understand anding and subnet masking. Um, that's, that's, that's probably, 
my 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 biggest sigh of relief um, ever. Um, for some reason, I I could not understand anything about IPU back then. I mean, I mean, I understood IPU, but I didn't really understand subnet masking, and 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 that was a really difficult concept for me to get. Um, in all seriousness, make all of us feel old tonight. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a memory lane thing for me. Um, you know, I, I think, I think that, I think that probably my biggest, and, and this, this is a really selfish one, but my, my biggest win since being on the business development side of things, um, from an individual contributor perspective was when somebody brought me a spreadsheet of the last 10 years of business at the, at the company that I was at and showed me that between the two of us, we had impacted over 70% of the revenue in the organization for the last decade. Um, you know, looking at that made me feel, you know, made, made, you know, you, you, one of the things about sales is when you do well, it's, it, you can understand what the measurement of it is. The measurement is in dollars and, and, and that, you know, that was, that was a, that was a really good feeling. Um, I think that, I think that my biggest win, and this is going to, again, going to be another silly one, but there was a, um, and, and, and again, it's, it's just, it's one of those things that, that, that it, 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 it just, that, so there was, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say, how to tell this story without without sharing the names of the companies involved in the process. So, so let's just say, let's just say that there was a, there was a particular industry segment that was, um, I was working with semantics managed security services business. And so semantic bought a company called Riptech years ago. Um, um, Amit Uran and Dub Uran, the Uran brothers were, were, were part of founding that they sold it to semantic. So Semantic bought at stake. They bought they bought Riptech. They bought a bunch of you know a bunch of different companies. Uh, they bought Altiris. They bought they bought Bonte. They bought anyway. They bought all these com- all these companies, and and the the consulting company that I was with at the time, CBI, um, we had really we um, we we'd looked at McAfee and we looked at Semantic, and and at the time they were kind of two big security behemoths that were buying companies. And we had gone out to McAfee's partner event and it was really cool. But then, and, and so we were down a path. Um, we were on the advisory board for, at, at McAfee. And then, and then we, we heard John Thompson speak. And John Thompson had this mantra of 10 by 10 by 10. So $10 billion with 10% of being in services by 2010. And, you know, and, and he was, you know, he's this IBM executive, really polished guy. And he was going to do it by hook or by crook. And, and we really became enamored of the story. So flash forward, um, there was a, there's a, there, one of my, probably my best sales mentors, a guy named Jeff Lanfear. And, you know, Jeff's, Jeff's, a, Jeff's a great technology salesperson. I've learned just a tremendous amount of things from him about customer relationships. Uh, Jeff Lanfear and Joe Merrill, two, two kind of best salespeople I know. Um, but, but Jeff and I went after an industry segment together um, with kind of this big yellow bus story. And it was just a bunch of, you know, a bunch of semantic technologies working together. Semantic had this vision that they were going to get everything in, in a single pane of glass, which, which is, a, it's a, that's a terrible phrase to say, but they were going to do, you know, they were going to make the single pane of glass solution and, and, and all these, all these technologies were going to work together. Well, semantic managed security services actually, you know, had a really strong solution 
Um, they're, you know, a great sock, they had great, you know, great leadership. A guy named John Lanato from Rackspace had come over to, to run the business and, and was just crushing it with, you know, Nut Promoter and, and, and really doing a great job for customers. And um, we, we, we started going after a bunch of business and we were up against Dell SecureWorks. And Symantec had a had a, um, a an agreement with Sourcefire where they would sell Sourcefire boxes, they would lease Sourcefire boxes as as a part of their solution, their managed security solution. The problem was they started losing deals to, to SecureWorks because what SecureWorks was doing, because they were owned by Dell, they were ta- they were taking Dell pizza boxes and, and and they called them eye sensors. So they they basically build the snort sensor. On an iSense on this on this Linux box that was it was dirt cheap. You know we're talking about five hundred dollars as opposed to you know fifteen thousand dollars for the for the equivalent Sourcefire box, and they were beating Semantic left and right. And 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 this, this Semantic was getting really mad. And he was he was like, man, he's like, we're you know we're losing these deals. You know how do we fix this? So we ended up we ended up um, winning nine different companies in a row beating beating Dell SecureWorks at nine different companies in a row by taking Dell boxes, wrapping them into the semantic managed security service business, buying Dell boxes and putting, putting a snort sensor on them. Like we built eye sensors. So we, we built a solution to compete with Dell SecureWorks and, and beat them nine times in a row. Um, and, you know, went out and did the sock tours and, you know, showed them what we were doing. And I was, I was very transparent about the solution. You know, I told people, listen, you know, this is, this is what Dell's going to tell you. Um, here's what I'm telling you. You know, I'm, I'm going to use a Dell box. We're, we're doing the exact same thing as, as SecureWorks is doing with these eye sensors. And, you know, again, we won nine, you know, seven figure deals in a row um, as a result of, of, of doing something unique that, that provided, I believe a better service for the customers and and solve the business problem of I, I wasn't crazy about selling the source fire solution because it was too expensive. I wasn't going to sell a customer a fifteen thousand dollar box when they could do it for you know for fifteen hundred dollars tops. And so that's probably the deal the, the the kind of deal setup that I'm that I'm most proud of. Great question, Tom. It made me think about it a lot. No, that's thank you for sharing. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for joining us this evening and asking a question, Matthew. Over to you. Hey, Dave. Thanks. Um, great conversation so far. Um, every time I talk to you, I get more impressed, I have to say. Uh, so I appreciate everything that you've shared. Um, my question has to do with um, basically if you went back in time, so you got yourself a time machine and you got five minutes with 17-year-old Dave, what would you tell him? What advice would you give? What would you tell him to avoid what would you do with that five minutes? Ooh, man, that's a different room, Matt. Um, first, first of all, I will stall by saying that um, the feelings mutual, Matt. Um, if, if if anybody wants to know about physical security and and disaster preparation, um, Matt's your guy. Uh, he's, he runs great rooms, and and there's always great content. Lots of great physical security and security generalist stuff. Um, you know, just just a really good, a really good, um, uh, just a really good uh, uh, person in general. Um, if I had five minutes to go back and talk to my to my seventeen year old self, um, I would say pick better mentors earlier. Um, 
be intentional and take advice from people that you want to emulate, not people that you want to hang out with. Um, uh, learn how to say no earlier. Um, and understand the value of time. Wow, that's awesome. Especially the learn how to say no earlier. I think that's something that everybody in the industry struggles with. Um, not that we're yes people, but um, that it's always hard to not have the answer or, you know, not uh, not say yes, not take on new challenges. So thanks yeah, for that. I, I, I think I think those of us that, that truly want to help people in this industry, we have we have this desire to fix it. And 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 when someone asks us, I mean, man, I want to be the guy that helps fix that for sure. If somebody asks me for help, I always want to give it. And it can be exhausting to, you, you can't ever be all things to all people. And so the faster you learn how to do those things, I think, you know, I think the better. And I, and I think, you know, I think that there's, there's, sorry, there's one other thing I would mention. And that's that, that's the, the other thing I would tell myself is you're not all that special. And what I mean by that is the realization in your life, when you realize that, that, that you are not the only person that feels the way that you do. You're not the only person that struggles with the things that you do. You're not the only person that has the wins that you do and has the insecurities that you do. When you recognize that and recognize it, that, that the people that you see sailing through life that have no problems are just way better at managing their attitudes than you are. And if, and if, and if you can change that one thing in your life, you can make a tremendous difference. Matt, thanks for uh, thanks for jumping up on stage and asking your question. And you took my last question, which is fine. That is quite all right. But that is a great question. Uh, and thanks, uh, Dave, for answering that question. Bez, over to you. Hey, um, I do have a question, but it would it would be a crime if I didn't um, appreciate and acknowledge um, everybody in the room because um, I was in another. Um, another room or discord channel. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting talking to a, um, a very intelligent, um, different generation. And, um, you know, I sort of joked around and said, Hey, um, um, I made a joke about Al Gore, you know, you know, claiming he invented the internet and, uh, they didn't even know what I was referencing, you know, uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, if, when I'm thinking about, you know, everything you are all talking, um, you know, even for me personally, um, you know, Vint Surf and Bob Kahn were like titans for me in that, you know, they fundamentally, you know, architect or they're known as the father of, of the of the Internet. And they um, made a reference to TCPIP. I mean, those two are the ones that got that uh, protocol going in six months. And they're not even baby boomer, boomers. They're what they call traditionalists, Schwarzkopfers, people that were born between 1900 and 1946. So they're both in their late 70s, early 80s. And yet they had such an impact, you know, and, and the first web page think about this we're coming on the 32 anniversary sometime in august that was written on a next computer remember the next computer that 
company Steve Jobs after he was fired from Apple? <laughs> and what happened to DEC? What happened to all these other companies that, you know, were uh, titans in their industry? Um, so I, I, um, I really appreciate being in a room with, um, you know, some OGs. So, um, anyways, my question is chronologically gifted as I think, as I think what you're trying to say about us. <laughs> yeah, I, <guess> so. <laughs> I like OG better, but anyways, nice. um, um, what is, um, uh, my questions around quantum computing, um, how does quantum computing affect cryptography as we know it today? And um, what's the future for cryptography? And, you know, the CISOs and everybody in the security industry, what's what's ahead of us? Wow, man, you, you, you asked the wrong guy about this one. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, uh, I, I want to make two comments. Um, one is I want to I want to back up for a second and and when you're talking about OG stuff, um, for those of you in this room that are that are not of you know Gen X and earlier, um, and and I'm not trying to offend any of you that that are not in my generation or or older, that that perhaps know the answer to this question. But um, if you really want to look at an interesting story, look at the Palo Alto Research Center. Um, there 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 is a amazing just just incredible story around xerox in in their palo alto research center um i i would i would hazard to suggest that more than 50 percent of the technology that we use today has a direct um origin in you know in in those you know in those you know again jack goldman and and you know and 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 team so um so can, anyway, can i yeah. interject there dave for yeah, a second please. Oh, that Please. park. If um, there is a great documentary PBS put out that's called Triumph of the Nerds. It was years ago, but it is super good. And it talks about Steve Jobs going into park and against the product manager's wishes. Xerox just said, yeah, let him look at all this stuff. Ethernet, Bob Metcalf, Wi-Fi, the GUI, everything we know today Xerox could have owned the computing world, but they didn't see a future in it. They hired 50 of the brightest scientists from around the world. Hey, man, and everybody needs a copier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, go on. I love that story, the park. You, you, historically, that's significant. Yeah, man. I, I, I just, it, 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 it park bared referencing just in, in, you know, in, in the, in, and I'm, and I'm sure you would have brought it up. Had we talked longer that it, 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 it just is really interesting. Um, it's really interesting to, to, to do that, to do that dig in. And, and, and for those of you on this call, and for those of you listening to the replay, um, you, you really owe yourself, uh, looking, you know, looking into that. Um, to, as, as to your second question, quantum computing, you know, the only thing I can say is that, it, it truly is a brave new world. When we think about quantum computing, I think it's going to change a lot. Um, I think that I think that there are some interesting people on Clubhouse um, that are you know that are involved in that. Um, there's a there's a Wells Fargo executive Tammy that 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 I've been talking to about doing. Uh, um, she doesn't work for Wells Fargo anymore, I don't think. But but Tammy and I have been talking about about doing a room with some with some folks to talk directly about that. Cause honestly, that's, that's an area 
that I don't know enough about. Um, there's a guy named Dane Butzer that's on here a lot. From uh, he's got a company called Hypersphere that are you know that, that are doing some really good things with with quantum computing. You know, I definitely think it's going to be it's going to be a big impact, and I think I think this is going to be another this is going to be another one of those things where we look at it, you know, in in, in ten years or, or or twenty years or, or fifty years, and we realize that some of the greatest pioneers in 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 quantum computing probably didn't get credit for the things that they did or said or, or, or engaged with. So, you know, I think, I think, I think that's a really good, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a really good thing to think about. Um, and it's something that, yeah. So, yeah. So Tammy Fleming is going to bring, um, uh, Roger Grimes, um, uh, some other, some other folks, Dean Butzer, um, we're going to, we're going to have a room about that. I don't know if we're, if we'll do that in Tom's room on, on Wednesday nights. Um, so, you know, check out security mindset on Wednesday nights at six Eastern, um, check out cybersecurity week in review on Fridays. Um, could, you know, could be on, on Matt's physical security room, but we're, we're, we're going to talk more about quantum computing. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stranger there myself. So, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just a student when it comes to that. So if anybody's got some comments on that, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Awesome. Des, thanks for uh, thanks for jumping up on stage and joining us this evening and taking us down memory lane for some of some of the things that I remember. Um, so look, it is uh, it is 9.41 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I know we ran a little bit longer than we would normally run. Uh, we try to get everybody out of here around 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but the conversation has been really great so far. So I, I will I will start to uh, um, uh, start to wrap up the room. Just gonna move some folks down to the audience as we as we make our way uh, out. I want to just make a, a quick announcement. So uh, you may notice that we don't actually have a room scheduled next week. Uh, that is because there there are going to be a lot of moderators at RSA. Uh, so we actually will not be able to to uh, to accommodate the room. So I do apologize up front. I know everybody looks forward to. Uh, to these chats and, and we do as well. Uh, but we, we had Bob scheduled for next week and uh, Bob has been gracious enough to allow us to, to reschedule him. So I do encourage you all to come back uh, for that conversation uh, with Bob in early July. Uh, but we will be back the week after next. Uh, so the week after next, feel free to join us back here. Uh, I'm looking for the schedule. Here it is. The clubhouse moved the, uh, moved the app around or the, icons around. So the week after next, so June 15th, we will have Jeff Peel join us uh, for a conversation. So please come back and join us on, on June 15th. As I mentioned, uh, next week, we will not actually have a room, which breaks a streak. We had a long streak going for, I forget if we're at 60 weeks or 70 weeks or so, uh, but we had a long streak going. Uh, we've been going strong for over a year uh, every Wednesday. So it's not because we don't want to chat. It's because we will be uh, at RSA. So look for us out at RSA if you do make it out there. I'm sure uh, the mods uh, that will be there will be happy to see you and and uh, and have a nice drink of water with you. Um, with that said, oh, that's weird. Josh Kaufman. Oh, okay. Personal MBA. I, I see. Yeah, I see. What sorry, you're so, so, I, yeah, sorry. I, 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 I just wanted, oh, I wanted to post, <laughs> no, I wanted to post that link just for just, that was the guy I was talking about earlier. Sorry. Yeah. For no, people no who wanted that list of books. 
No worries. I, I, at some point, I was like, wait, did we get hacked? But then I see you update. No, yeah, that's actually a really good book. I agree with you, Dave. I, I listened to that. Actually, I listened to that on, on uh, a few months back. Um, and it's one that I've, I've played a few times because uh, it's really good content in there. Uh, for somebody like myself who only graduated with a computer science degree and wanted to learn a little bit more about business. Um, in any event, thank you everybody for, for joining us this evening. Uh, we do appreciate your time and attendance and participation. Uh, again, if you're not a member of our Fireside Chat, please click that little greenhouse on the top left of your screen. You can join our Fireside Chat group. Uh, moderators, uh, any final words before we uh, pass it over to Dave? Dave, thanks for carving out the time and uh, appreciate the candid insights. Yeah, totally agree. You spending the night with us this evening in uh, in Clubhouse has just been amazing. Took us on every lane, inspired us to do better, and to to give back at every chance. So uh, for that, we're grateful. Well, I just I just want to jump in and say thank you to all of you. I've learned something tonight from everyone that that spoke up. Um, I always do. Um, I value all of you, and I and I thank you so much for um, for your engagement, Tomas. Thank you for holding this space. Um, I often listen to your replays and and learn something every time. I will try to be here in, in person more often, and uh, you know just 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 really appreciate it. Please um, connect with me on LinkedIn. If any of you have anything that I can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. If there's a connection I can make for you, I'm happy to do that. And uh, would love to learn more about each and every one of you. So please do connect. And, uh, and, and thank you to all of you that came out and supported this tonight. Um, and, and again, Tomas, thank you for, for holding the space and, and allowing me the opportunity to share here. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Dave, for, for spending your time with us uh, and, and sharing you know, a little bit more about you uh, that some folks haven't haven't or hadn't already heard which is which is a great a good thing as we continue to grow as people and, and and colleagues and we learn more about each other uh we stay more connected uh so definitely go check out dave's room on friday uh obviously if you're not following tom and dave follow them tom's got a great room with security mindset um and i do want to shout out a few of the giraffes in the room i know some of you are seeing some of the icons with giraffes and you're probably wondering wait what is this giraffes well you can ping Russell, or you can ping the, the ones that actually have the giraffes on. Uh, but that's a, that's an NFT uh, called the Giraffe Tower. Uh, it's actually a pretty interesting uh, group of folks that that are there to to really help and grow uh, and learn from each other. So uh, if you want to learn more about that, feel free to ping uh, Russell uh, on that. But without further ado, everybody have a good rest of your weekend. We'll see you at RSA for those that are that are attending. Stay safe uh, and safe travels over, and uh, have a great week, everybody. Cheers. Bye. Be good, everyone. Enjoy RSA. It'll be my first year missing in a long time, so have fun. Be well. Treat, treat each other right. Connect. <laughs>